Chapter Eleven of Cross Currents. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. Margaret was six years old when, for the third time, she ran away from Sweeney's cellar. This time she was successful in her flight. Her wits had been sharpened by adversity. On the very first day of her freedom, she ran after an old man on the street and restored a fallen parcel. Well, well, bless your pretty face, and did I drop it? He cried. Let me see. And he thrust his hand into his pocket. I think that's worth a dime, eh? He finished, dropping into Margaret's palm a bright new ten-cent piece. Margaret gazed from the money to the back of the retreating man. Ten cents! And she had only picked up a tiny brown package that had been nothing at all to lift. Why, for ten cents, back in Sweeney's cellar, one might make a thousand bags and not get half so much money, even though one were paid for it. And she had been obliged to do it for nothing. Ten cents! Margaret hugged the bit of silver, kissed it, and danced up and down with joy. Then she went to the bakery across the street and squandered half her fortune on buns. On a seat in the tiny rectangular park where three streets crossed, Margaret feasted on her buns and meditated on this marvellous thing that had come to her. Life might be a simple thing, after all. If picking up a bundle brought ten cents, and half the ten cents brought six great buns, this problem of living by oneself was not going to be so difficult to solve. To Margaret the road stretched straight ahead through an endless paradise of buns and bundles. She was having her first sweet taste of the bread of independence and it was very dear to her. Sundown brought Margaret back to earth. Even her present fortune had its limitations, and in Sweeney's cellar she had had a roof over her head. It was June and warm, however, and Margaret finally found a cosy little nook behind a big pile of bales on the wharf, and there she curled herself up to sleep. In one hand was a precious five-cent piece, in the other a paper bag holding four buns. Once Margaret would have been afraid of the lonely darkness with the sound of the black water lapping the piers. But now she welcomed the night, for it hid her from eyes that might be searching for her, and as for the loneliness, the fewer people one had about one, the fewer raps, cuffs, and hair-pullings one was likely to receive, in Margaret's experience. "'Hello, Rags!' Margaret was just beginning to stir the next morning, when the strange voice and the strange salutation brought her instantly awake. With a sharp little cry, she sprang to her feet, instinctively on defensive. "'What do you want?' she demanded. Thrusting behind her back the five-cent piece and the bag of buns, thus early had she awakened to a realization of the responsibility that comes with possessions. "'I said, hello, Rags, and I don't want nothing,' returned a cheery voice. Margaret's hands tightened their clasp. Peering around the corner of the pile of bales was a girl several years older than herself, a girl with snapping little black eyes and a small pinched face ending in a pointed chin. Margaret had seen many boys and girls since she came to New York, but never one like this, never one with so confident an air of independence, as if the world and everything in it were hers for the asking. Already it seemed to Margaret that those keen black eyes had discovered the buns and the money, out of sight though they were. Suddenly she remembered another cause for grievance. "'I ain't rags,' she said sharply. "'No?' "'No,' 
or maybe there's ribbons then jeered the stranger still good-naturedly her eyes on the rags and tatters that told how far from lavish had been swaney's supply of a wardrobe now i like my ribbons tied in bows went on the little girl but maybe you like your sort of loose and careless like eh maybe it's new style margaret stared silently her hand still held behind her back say what is your name asked the other margaret hesitated why it's it's maggie now she said slowly or or mag but before it was she stopped the old hunted look coming to her eyes even now she could hear the jeering laugh that had so often silenced her in sullivan's attic when she had insisted upon being called by that other name that margaret which belonged to the dear long ago it's it's maggie she finished defiantly well maggie then if ye like that better in rags where ye live margaret stared she threw a quick look about her well you see i i ain't going back she said confidentially so i don't live anywhere now run away where from margaret stepped back cautiously you tell she said tell not on your life patty murphy don't tattle tale retorted the black-eyed thin-faced little girl loftily is patty murphy you ventured maggie with some hesitation at your service bowed patty mockingly her eyes dancing come what do you run from maggie opened her lips but before she could speak a shrill scream came from the street the next instant a little girl about the size of maggie herself ran limping and stumbling down the wharf and flung herself against the girl who had just owned to the name of patty murphy he steal them he steal them wailed the newcomer and i couldn't run i couldn't run steal them not the frankfurters yes patty's eyes flashed every muscle in her slim little body stiffened who was it she demanded wrathfully i don't know it was a boy he don't live any wars round here i never see him for patty's tense muscles relaxed plainly retribution and recovery of the stolen goods were impossible inasmuch as the culprit was unknown don't you fret arabella don't you fret she soothed patting the little girl's heaving shoulders like now we'll find something else for breakfast my but twas mean where he must a known ye couldn't run she cried angrily ye see it's dem she added in a low voice turning to maggie's and pointing to little arabella's twisted misshapen feet she she won't finish up right somehow i reckon and they don't go good maggie was silent a faint something was stirring within her a something that had lain dormant for long months course nobody likes to lose their breakfast went on patty but there's heaps of chances yet and a gleeful laugh interrupted her breakfast why i've got breakfast lots of it cried maggie joyously enough for all of us and she tore open the bag in her hand and proudly displayed the four buns say you are a brick cried patty but she snatched back the hand that arabella greedily reached toward the bag 
No, no, Arabella, wait for twinny. Come, she added to Maggie. We'll get the rest of my family. You see, there's three of us, me and the twins. They're Arabella and Clarabella. Kind of pretty names, don't you think? She asked as she trudged along the street. I named them myself out of a piece of a book I found in a ash barrel last winter. Oh, they had names, course, before. Sue and Sally. But they weren't pretty ones, so I changed them. Name is a thing you don't have to have if you don't like em. They ain't like measles and relations. Now, dar's Dad. If I could have changed him as easy as, here, Clarabella. Come here. She called suddenly to a little girl who was almost the image of Arabella, save only that in her case the little legs were straight and the feet well-shaped. It was amazing how it throve, this friendship built on a bag of buns, but thrive it certainly did. Patty and the twins took Maggie straight to their hearts and stoutly championed her cause all through the somewhat difficult process of introducing her to life at the alley. Hearing the story of her flight from Sweeney's cellar, they expressed their unqualified approval of her conduct, openly admired her courage, and constituted themselves a bodyguard of three to protect her from being recaptured. They even procured from somewhere an old dress, a little less ragged than her own, and presented her with it, realizing also that this new citizen of their community must have some means of support, they proceeded to instruct her in various arts now likely to be of use to her, begging to be done cautiously, and with a wary eye out for the cops, swiping to be done still more cautiously, and with a still more wary eyes out for the cops, errand-running and baby-tending, always to be done on the straight, but never to be done at all when anything better offered. Nor did this make the sum total of the ministrations of the three new friends. On the very first day of the acquaintanceship, Maggie was graciously invited to share the girls' cooperative housekeeping establishment in one corner of a basement room belonging to a good-natured woman who had taken pity on their houseless condition. "'Ye see, it's this way,' explained Patty, who by virtue of her being thirteen years old and head housekeeper had given Maggie the invitation to share her home. Ma's dead. Seems as if I never did remember her very well. And I've done most of all the bringing up of the twins. Dad's lost. Don't know where he is, but that don't matter so much, for I would have changed him anyhow, if I could, as I was telling ye. Well, after he went and the rent man dumped us on the sidewalk, Miss Whalen, she took us in. Now, there ain't no reason why you can't join us, continued Patty. You hain't got no one, and we ain't. And there's heaps of room. Why, we got one whole corner to ourselves. Dar, see? And she led the way into a good-sized basement kitchen. At one end of the room, where the light from a window on a level with the sidewalk was brightest, Maggie saw a woman and four children at work at a table. The floor about them was sprinkled with bits of red, pink, blue, and green, while the table bloomed like a flower garden with pinks, roses, and forget-me-nots. Oh, how pretty! cried Maggie, clapping her hands with delight. Hm. Posies, returned Paddy indifferently. They make em. But see, this is our house. And she pulled Maggie over to the farther side of the room. On the floor in the corner was an old mattress with two or three ragged quilts heaped upon it. We can all use it if we lay close, said Paddy. You know the twins is small. Against the wall was a small cupboard whose shelves, with cheerful indiscrimination, 
more plates, cups, spoons, a comb, two spools of thread, a cushion with pins and needles, and several bits of soil. Ye see, we keeps house, explained Patty. So we needs dishes and things. Miss Valen lets us use her stove when we heats up things. See, we've got an extra box already for you to sit on, so you don't have to get a single thing. Ain't it nice? You come, won't ye? It was nice, and Maggie said so. In fact, she accepted the offer at once. In comparison with Sullivan's attic and Swaney's cellar, it seemed a haven of delight indeed. She was told, to be sure, that occupancy of the corner meant room rent, not board. They must procure for themselves whatever food they had, for good Mrs. Whalen had many mouths of her own to feed on the other side of the room. Ye see, we divvy up, explained Patty still further. We divvy everything. If we gets anything give to us, or if we swipe stuff from vendors and bake carts, we divvy up. And if we gets money for anything, we puts it in this tin cup and spends it when we has to. But it's empty now, she added, giving the cup in her hand a rueful shake. Tain't neither, cried Maggie joyously, and in the cup jingled a five-cent piece, dropped from a moist little palm. We've got five whole cents. Oh, oh, bully, chorused Patty and the twins and the initiation of the new member of the cooperative establishment was complete. End of chapter 11 Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama